Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you again asking that you would manifest your presence unto us as we are indeed assembled together. You have promised that where two or three are met together, you're there. And so we trust that you are here. Not only here <coughs> because of your omniscience or omnipresence, but because you're here in a special way in the congregation of the Lord. Pray that as we look at the Holy Scriptures concerning thy darling Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would sanctify them unto our hearts and souls. Nourish our spirits that we may honor and serve you throughout the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Coming back to Galatians chapter 4, we looked at this morning in verse 4 that phrase, the fullness of times, or time. And it said that when that time came, God sent forth his son, made of a woman made under the law. The second person of the Trinity did not come to the earth to become the Son of God. There are people that teach that, that he was not the Son of God until he was born of the Virgin Mary. But here the Scriptures say, God sent his son. He didn't say that the son became a son when he was born of the virgin. But God sent his son. He was a son when he sent. He did not send the second person of the Trinity to become son. Now this is where we uh, a great mystery that theologians try to unravel. He didn't say that he sent the, uh, the, the, the second person of the Trinity to become the Son because the second person of the Trinity still was the second person of the Trinity when he came. But the person took upon himself humanity. So you had one person with two natures. You have the Son of God is also the Son of Man. You have the humanity of Jesus. You have the deity of the second person they are not commingled. In other words, 
God, the nature of God and the nature of man were not mixed together in the one person. Jesus was the human nature, the God-man, well, the, the, the Lord was of that divine nature. And like I said, theologians have tried for centuries to explain the glorious mystery of the eternal sonship of God. I do not think it can be explained. We must believe it. We must accept it because the Scriptures teach it. No more than I can explain creation. I do not know what steps God had to do in order to bring something out of nothing. Scripture tells us He spoke the worlds into existence. Now, how all of that happened, the Bible doesn't tell us. And so, we cannot... Uh, we, we can't comprehend it. We can't explain it. Neither can we explain the eternal sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at a perf uh, some passages of Scripture. Obviously, the first place we're going to go is John chapter 1. And we're just going to look at a couple of three because verses we do not have time to look at all a whole bunch of verses on this we could preach a series of sermons on the second person of the trinity and the eternal sonship of christ but notice what scripture says in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Explain that, we cannot. Believe that, we can. And I'll give you one other passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Without controversy, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. As I said before, I'll say this, 
I believe that the more people try to explain this glorious mystery, the more they confuse the issue. And this is how many heresies come about on the subject of trying to explain the unexplainable. If, if man would just admit his ignorance instead of trying to come up with some novel idea that makes him look like he is very smart and intelligent, when usually things like that happen, he not only is confused himself, he confuses anybody that listens to him. And too often people will hear preachers preach in such way and they talk, boy, that's really deep. Well, the point is, the reason it's so deep is he doesn't know what he's talking about and they don't know what he's talking about, but they think he, they, he knows what he's talking about when he doesn't. Because if he really understood it, he would deliver it in plain, simple terms. Now there are times when we don't understand certain things, but at least we can understand the concepts that are being made. I think we ought to follow uh, Deuteronomy 29.29. You know that when you should know it. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But the things that are given to us are for us and our children that we may do. So if God hasn't explained something, why should we go about explaining it? You remember when we preached through the book of Revelation, there was one part where uh, the angel showed something unto John, and the angel told John, not to write it. Don't, don't write it down in the book. And then the, we pointed out that there are men that have written books on explaining what John didn't write about. Now that's got to be the height of in, uh, insanity to me. When God tells somebody not to write about something and then somebody else comes along that thinks they're smarter than God or smarter than anybody else and they write books on telling what John saw that he didn't write about. Now that's just, that's just insane. It's a waste of anybody's time as far as I'm concerned to even read a book like that. But sometimes people and sometimes my curiosity may get the best of me that I read just to see what they had to say. and uh, But for the most part, I just don't read it. Because to me, it's just a, a, it's a waste of mental gymnastics and a waste of my time. All we can do is to proclaim what the Scriptures say without trying to say how it happened. That's the same way with God's 
sovereignty and man's responsibility. Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God. It says Pharaoh's heart was hardened more than it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then Pharaoh hardened his heart. And in Romans 9, you remember Paul said, well, you're going to say to me, why does God find fault for who has resisted the will of God? If nobody's resisted the will of God, then how can God find fault with a man that, hasn't, that can't resist the will of God? And Paul answered it. Man, who are you to question God? Yet theologians try to harmonize the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility, and we just can't do it. We can't do it. We just must preach the Scriptures and leave it, uh, leave it as God gave it. So God did not tell us how the second person of the Trinity took upon Himself the human nature other than the fact that it came through the Virgin Mary. Now I'm going to say something and I hope you don't think that it's off color but I say this because of the inquisitive minds of a, of a lot of people. Mary was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that. But the Holy Spirit did not have sex with Mary. You can rest assured of that. There was no infidelity. There was no fornication. There's nothing like that happened. You say, well, then explain it. I can't explain it. That's my point. A virgin shall conceive and a virgin shall bear a son. Scripture tells us that. How can a woman bear a son or bear a child and still be a virgin. Humanly speaking, it can't be. Humanly speaking, it can't be. We're talking about the mystery of godliness. And there are many passages that we could go to that tell about God sending His Son and there are many sermons regarding Jesus and the Son of God that we could talk about. And we're not going to talk about and preach about the whole eternal sonship of Christ. But we want to look at a few. It says, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. Made of is the Greek word ek, which means out of. It's a primary preposition denoting origin. The point whence action or motion proceeds. 
And as I said before, God did not tell us how He did it, and we should not devise schemes as to how it was accomplished. We just need to preach it. But let us look at a few verses of Scripture that talk about the coming of Christ. First of all, Matthew chapter 1. Some of these I know you're quite familiar with. But I think it's good that we go back and read them, put our eyes upon them. Matthew chapter 1, beginning of verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while she thought on these things, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thy son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, "Behold, this is in Isaiah, as you know, Isaiah seven. Behold, a virgin shall be with child." And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. We already read 1 Timothy 3.16 where it said God was manifested in the flesh. God was manifested in the flesh. Now let's go to Luke chapter 1. I'll begin in verse 24. And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived 
and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked upon looked on me to take away the reproach of me my reproach among men. And in the sixth month, that is, Elizabeth was with child of John the Baptist, and she was in her sixth month of being with child. So we're going to see that John was approximately six months older than Jesus. And they were cousins. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. Now we, we, could, we could say, what angel appeared to Joseph? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us. But we know what angel appeared to Mary. And it may be that Gabriel appeared to Joseph. We don't know that. I'm thinking that it might be a good assumption. But we can't say for sure. Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. Among women, excuse me. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Wouldn't you? If an angel appeared to you and told you that something was going to happen, that it's just impossible? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That was a prophecy from Isaiah 7.14 that a virgin shall conceive. It's also a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 where God told Eve that the seed of the woman 
should bruise the head of the serpent. For 4,000 years, from Genesis 3.15 to the coming of Eve, before that prophecy was fulfilled. Also, dropping down into Luke chapter 1, drop down to verse 55. <clears throat> this is part of Mary's song. I think they call it Mary's Magnificent. But I only want to read one verse of that pertaining to our subject. As He spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Now you remember back in the third chapter of Galatians where it said that God spoke to Abraham and He said He didn't say seeds as of many, but of thy seed, which is Christ, one. Let's go back and re let's read Galatians 3.15. Brethren, actually 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. That's that famous passage, familiar passage in Genesis 15. Verses 5 and 6, where it said, Abraham called out and told, God told him, said, look at all the stars. He said, so shall thy seed be. And it says in verse 6 of Abraham, of Genesis 15, and he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. The it was the seed. Mary is talking about He spake to our fathers there in Luke one fifty five to Abraham and to his seed forever. The coming of the Messiah. God sent forth His Son when the fullness of time came. Drop down to verse 67. This is John the Baptist's father talking about some things that were to take place. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He hath visited and redeemed His people. What did Galatians 4.4 4 say? God, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. Verse 5, to redeem 
them that were under the law. So we're talking about this one that God sent to redeem His people. To redeem us from the curse of the law. Verse 69 of Luke 1, And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of the holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all them that, all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He sware to our father Abraham, that He would grant unto us, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. John the Baptist's father spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2. We have the testimony of the shepherds. Beginning at verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Come down to verse 25, we get the testimony of an old man by the name of Simeon. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Drop down to verse 30. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which Thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Verse 34. Well, let's just read on down. 32. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of Thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be Revealed. And then there's the testimony of Anna. We'll just keep reading. 
And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of, of a great age and lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. In other words, that means we don't know how she was when she married her husband. But she lived with her husband seven years. Then after that, now she had lived uh, fourscore and four years. So that's 44 plus seven. That's 91. She could very well have been over 100 years of age, see? But here's this old woman. You aged sisters who are in your 90s, here God used this woman in her 90s or over 90s, probably, possibly in her 100s. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple and served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. For all those who were looking for redemption in Jerusalem. Now turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We'll kind of summarize it in these verses. Hebrews 2, taken up in verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's you and I, we're, we're flesh and blood, right? He also himself likewise took part of the same. He too became flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed. There it is again, isn't it? The seed of Abraham. The seed of the woman. From Genesis 3.15 before, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Yes, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Many other passages could be shown that He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, as Romans 8.3 says, not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he was without sin. Hebrews 4.15 tells us. 
When did he come? When the time was right. He came made of a woman. Made of a woman. God sent forth His Son. Sent forth His Son. Made out of a woman. Out of a woman. But not only that, he was under the law. He was under the law. Much is preached about the death of Christ, and rightly so, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Hebrews 9.22 tells us. However, there is too little preached regarding the importance of Christ living in obedience to the law for the redemption of His people. Jesus said He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. You know why He fulfilled the law? Because we broke it. And if He is our surety, which He is, he had to fulfill the law for us. Now think about it. There was never a thought in the mind of Jesus that was sinful. Not only He never had in action, you remember in John 8, he stood before his enemies and he said, which one of you convinceth me of sin? In other words, tell me where I have sinned. Prove it to me. Well, they couldn't. But not only outwardly were there no sin in the Lord Jesus Christ, but inwardly. He didn't even have a desire to sin. Think about that. Not only did he not think about sin and dwell on sin and covet sin, he never even wanted to. We don't know what that is. He fulfilled the law to a jot and a tittle. And why? Because of you, for you and for me. He kept and committed all law, both civil and judicial. Look back again in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. 
And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. But when he was eight days old, he kept the law. Genesis seventeen twelve. Well, let's just go back and read it. Go back and read it. Genesis 17, where God told Abraham to circumcise not only himself, but all the children, verse 12, and he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generation. He that is born, so on and so forth. Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days, according to the days of separation of her infirmity, and shall she be unclean. And in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Jesus kept the law. It was nothing that he could do actively, but he was passive in keeping it. You understand that? What it means? See, if uh, if I were to say, I throw the ball, I am active. I'm doing the throwing, right? If I say the ball was thrown, the ball is passive. It's not doing the active. Something, another force was acted upon the ball. Jesus did not actively walk up and get circumcised. He was carried or taken to the place of circumcision when he was eight days old. No doubt the rabbi, the priest of some sort, came in and circumcised Jesus on the eighth day. You say, well, who circumcised him? The Bible doesn't tell us. But he was circumcised. That's a passive obedience. So when we talk about Jesus Christ fulfilling the law, it is not only that he did not say, lie or steal or covet or commit adultery or uh, take the Lord's name in vain or whatever else 
He not only did not do those things in an active way, but everything that he could do passively, he fulfilled as well, such as being circumcised. He kept the law to a jot and a tittle in every respect. He was made not only of the woman, but he was made under the law. Under the law. And he kept the law. He kept circumcision. He also kept the Passover in his youth. Look at you uh, 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 from not only not in. Not, he kept the Passover from his youth. Look at Luke two again. Luke two. Just look at a couple of verses. Luke 2.41 Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast and so on. But he didn't just go up to the feast of the Passover when he was twelve. He went every year. See that in verse 41? When he was one year old, two years old, three years old, four years old. But then something happened when he was 12 years old. So he kept the Passover from his youth. And then during his ministry, look in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day. That's all I wanted out of that. Then dropping over to John chapter 11. John 11. Verse 55. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. From the youth on, he attended the Passover. He attended other feasts. I'm not going to look at all of these feasts, but uh, I'll give you the verses of Scripture. John 5, 1. John 7, 2. John 7, 10 and 11 and 14 and 37. John 7.37 was the Feast of Tabernacles. And in John 10.22 was the Feast of Dedication. Now the Feast of Dedication wasn't even instituted until uh, about 164 B.C. under the time of Judas Maccabees. But my point is, he kept the laws. He kept the feasts. He fulfilled it all to a jot and a tittle. 
When the fullness of time was come, God sent Him. These are no little things. They are a part of your redemption. See, when we talk about the redemptive work of Christ, we normally just talk about His death, burial, and resurrection. But the fulfillment of the law to every jot and every tittle was needful. He kept man's law. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Taking up at verse 24. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He said, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him. In other words, Jesus started talking before he did, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Who do they take taxes from? From their own citizens or somebody else? Well, he was living today. He'd find they take them from their own citizens, their own children. But anyway, by the way, I saw, I assume, you know, you never know when you see something on the internet whether it's right or wrong anymore. But I saw this man holding up a sign. He was an old man. And uh, he said by the time he was of the age of 20-something, I forgot what it was, he had built and paid for his house. But now it takes half of his Social Security to pay for the taxes on his house. Tax poor. But anyway, Jesus, if he were alive today, if he had a house, he'd be paying taxes on it. Verse 26, Peter saith unto him of strangers, Jesus said unto him, Then are the children free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, cast it, and cast in a hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. Jesus not only paid his taxes, but he paid the taxes for Peter. He kept the law. These are no small things, beloved. And that's part of your redemption. Part of the redemptive work of Christ. And as we said before, quoting from John 8.46, He was sinless and challenged His enemies to find a sin in Him. In Hebrews 4.15 and 2 Corinthians 5.21, I won't turn and read those, Tells us that he was sinless. Sinless. 
He kept the law to be a sinless sacrifice, but He also kept the law for us because we have broken it. And since He is our surety, according to Hebrews 7.22, it was necessary that He keep the law on our behalf. This is considered His active obedience, while His death is His passive obedience, though, many, uh, though there may be some of each and both. Not only did Christ keep the law for us, but He also suffered the penalty of the law broken by us. The wrath of the law was violated. That was violated by us. Was poured out on Him. Isaiah 53, verses 5, 6, and 10. His soul was made an offering for sin. Isaiah 53, 11. He bore our iniquities. Isaiah 53.12, He bore our sins. As well as Romans 4.25, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Galatians 1.4, 1 Peter 2.24 and 3.18. I won't take the time to read all of those because our time has been is exhaust, ex, exhausted. But I did not want to just quickly go over that one part Christ was made under the law under the law there's a lot in that under the law but it was for us to redeem us let us pray my father we have only looked at a smidgen of scriptures concerning our Lord Jesus Christ fulfilling the law and being under the law for us. We don't think about that as much as we think about His death, burial, and resurrection. But it was just as significant And as we go through this week, may we think about our Lord coming for this purpose. And He came at the right time. Thank You, our God. In Jesus' name, Amen.